We have an amazing capacity to normalize events that are unbearable. And it's a great survival skill. It really does help us survive unimaginable circumstances. But it's not a great thriving skill. Once you're past the danger, once you survive, you need a new pattern to thrive. And you need to know that those unbearable, dysfunctional family issues, especially those surrounding you living your authentic life or you supporting your LGBTQ plus child, are not your fault. Would it be okay if I were to tell you that I am afraid someday? So I call you up and you call me down. Would it be okay? Well, hello and welcome to the Freed Hearts Podcast. My name is Robert Cottrell and I'm here as always with... Susan Cottrell. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Folks, don't forget to connect with us, freedhearts.org. Also, if you would share this podcast, uh, that helps a lot. And if you have not rated us, given us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to this, please do that. It does mean a lot in where we show up in algorithms and stuff like that. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, it's the end of January. You made it through the holidays. I, I mean, the holidays for some <laughs> of you. Um, hey, do you remember Goodwill Hunting where Matt Damon uh, has been through so much? He's so hurt. And he's standing there with Robin Williams, his therapist. And Robin Williams is trying to tell him that these things going on are not his fault. And he says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Matt Damon says, I know, I know. And Robin Williams says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Matt says, stop saying that. I know it's not my fault. Stop telling me. And Robin Williams keeps saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And finally, Matt Damon breaks down in tears. The words finally crack inside into his interior where he is curled up inside his self-protection. Mm. We have an wow. amazing capacity to normalize things that are absolutely unbearable. I mean, it's a great survival skill. It really does help us survive unimaginable circumstances, but it's not, it's not a great thriving skill. Once you're past the danger, once you survive, you need a new pattern in order to thrive. Yeah. I think at this point, I want to give you a trigger warning to say that just that this goes deep, nothing graphic, although we're going to talk just a little bit about the Holocaust, very little, um, but I, I think you'll be okay, but you have to take care of yourself. So just a small trigger warning for you. Yeah, and I want to share a small story with you from a book I'm reading that may help make sense of this. The book is called The Choice by Edith Eva Eager. Um, she's well, a, you've been talking about this book, yeah. Yeah, she's a 96-year-old survivor of the Holocaust of Auschwitz. I can't imagine anything worse. An amazing woman, and I'm sure I'll talk about this other parts of the book in future episodes because it's so rich. But right now, I just want to tell you one story from this book. And, you know, we've just spent nine chapters in her book hearing about what she endured at Auschwitz, that she and her sister both survived, which wow. is remarkable. And uh, both her parents died there. And every day they thought they would die. And thousands around them did die. Guards, guns, guns in their face, guns shooting the person right next to them. And starvation, endless starvation, mm. unimaginable cruelty. 
And finally, through multiple miracles, she makes it to America, the land of the free, Lady Liberty. She can hardly believe that she has survived, and now she's in America. What she doesn't know is that she hasn't even begun to unpack the trauma that she has endured. So she tells a story. She gets on the bus for the first time to go to her factory job. She sits down, and the driver starts yelling at her in English, and the people on the bus are pointing at her and glaring at her. And, you know, she doesn't speak English yet, so she won't understand no matter how loudly he says it. And she's triggered when the stakes, you know, to when the stakes were really life and death. Mm. And she said, I'm so consumed by the sensation of danger and threat that I can't put together what has happened. That I had boarded the bus the European way, taking my seat and waiting for the conductor to come and sell me a ticket. I've forgotten to put my token in the change box. Now the driver is yelling me, pay or get off, pay or get off. Even if I could speak English, I would not be able to understand him. I'm overcome by fear, by images of barbed wire and raised guns, Mm. by thick smoke rising from chimneys and obscuring my present reality, by the prison walls of the past closing in on me. I mean, just imagine. And in Auschwitz, her inner vision saved her. But she said, now my inner vision makes me interpret a simple mistake, a misunderstanding, as catastrophe. Nothing in the present reality is really wrong, nothing that can't be easily fixed. A man is angry and frustrated because he has misunderstood me, but I can't understand him. There's shouting and conflict, but my life is not in danger. And yet that is how I read the present situation, danger, danger, death. Pay or get off, pay or get off, the driver shouts. He stands up from his seat. He's coming toward me. Just imagine this. I fall to the ground. I cover my face. He is above me now, grabbing my arm, trying to yank me to my feet. I huddle on the floor of the bus, crying, shaking. A fellow passenger takes pity on me. She is an immigrant like me. She asks me first in Yiddish, then in German, if I have money. She counts the coins in my sweaty palm. She helps me back into my seat and sits with me until I'm breathing again. The bus pulls out onto the street. Stupid greener, someone says under her breath as she walks up the aisle to her seat. She says, when I tell my sister about the incident in a letter, I turn it into a joke, an episode of immigrant greener, slapstick. But something changed in me that day. It will be more than 20 years before I will have the language and psychological training to understand that I was having a flashback, that the unnerving physical sensations, racing heart, sweaty palms, narrowing vision, I experienced that day, and that I will continue to experience many times in my life, even now in my late 80s, are automatic responses to trauma. This is why I now object to pathologizing post-traumatic stress by calling it a disorder. It is not a disordered reaction to trauma. It's a common Mm. and natural one. Mm. But on that November morning in Baltimore, I didn't know what was happening to me. I assumed that my collapse meant that I was deeply flawed. I wish I had known that I wasn't a damaged person, that I was suffering the fallout, of an interrupted life. Wow, that's powerful. Amazing. 
And I love that, that her post-traumatic response is not a disorder. Mm. But those around her who were not trauma-informed kept ratcheting up the trauma, and so the trauma response, because they weren't listening, pausing to listen. They weren't paying attention to find out what in the world has happened. That bus driver did not understand her trauma. He was focused on his one job. A customer has to pay or get out, period. Nothing else counts. As he did his job in his tunnel vision way, he lost sight of his humanity and hers. The others on the bus didn't understand her trauma except the one upstander who reached out and helped her. And, you know, whatever the upstander had been through herself, whether she'd lived through trauma, she'd under, she understood compassion, and she could see mm. that continuing to yell and then physically yank this woman would not make things go better. And whether anyone else understood or not is irrelevant mm. because they didn't stand up and help her. Yeah. Now, many, many of you, many of us, to whatever degree, um, have been traumatized by our families and our churches for a very long time. And while the point of trauma may appear from the outside as the point that you recognized you were different in whatever way, and that you were unacceptable for whatever reason, and that realization or coming out about that realization may indeed be the point that really jacked up the trauma. Yes. But the trauma started long before that. For most of this community, the trauma started when you were told that God's love is conditional, that you have to work hard to earn it, that you have to do all the right things to be acceptable. Just regular old you is not okay. Well, all of that, all of that is trauma. Yes. And the ones who told you these things in the past did not understand your trauma. They were just doing their job like the bus driver, focused, just doing their job that they've been brainwashed to do in their church with their religious leaders in their own families. That's not, that's not, again, that's not an excuse. No. It's just seeing it for what it is. And like the driver on the bus, they are not seeing any other piece of it. It it breaks your heart when you're the one on the receiving end of this because you think, what the hell? They're choosing religion over me. And I can just imagine this bus driver shaking his head at all these immigrants. Ah, you know, he's an American (laughs) who stepped over whatever immigration history got him to this country (laughs) because now he's an American and she's a greener. And you too may be subject to dismissal like that. Like the Tom Robb walked into Bucky's. I'm sure you remember this. Yeah. We lived in Texas at the time. And Bucky's is a convenience store chain that's a very big deal in Texas. And this was during marriage equality. And Rob had um, his Love is Love t-shirt on with a ro- rainbow on it. <laughs> and as he walked out of Bucky's, some young urban cowboy in his hat and boots walked past him and said, faggot. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, you know, that's the kind of thing you get from people with tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that they, they just can't see beyond their little picture of the world. Mm. And your response Your fear, depression, flashbacks, self-condemnation, mistrust of others, all those things are a response to trauma. They are a post-traumatic, post-stress response, and they are not disordered. 
They are not a pathology. The trauma response is a normal survival response to trauma. It's not evidence of disorder, not evidence of your sickness, but evidence of your wellness. Wow, that's powerful. Evidence of your wholeness. It's an evidence that your life is bursting forth from within you to fight back and say, no, this is not right. What's happened here is not right, and you will not destroy me. Let me encourage you right now to to hit the rewind button about 30 seconds and listen to that part again, because that is yeah. so, so powerful, right? Yes. There. Wow. And you've surely heard this quote by now. I know we've said it by philosopher Judu uh, Krishnamurti. He said, it is no me- it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Yeah, indeed. Or to put it in other words, I recently saw an upworthy um, article about a disease called drapotomia, uh, drapotomania. You want to hear what it is? It was coined by a renowned, well-respected doctor in the South in 1851, and drapotomania is from two Greek words that mean runaway madness. And this, <laughs> oh, no. is, this is the madness that caused slaves to want to run away. <laughs> oh, man. In other words, if you're a slave, a black slave, or any slave, and you want to escape from the white people who, quote, own you, you must be crazy. Wow. <laughs> It's disgusting. White supremacy for you. What's not to love about white supremacy? Why would you ever want to escape? You see what I'm saying here? If they pathologize the desire to live free from human slavery, they can pathologize anything and they do. And our job is not to buy into it, no matter how well qualified, in air quotes, (laughs) the pathologizer like this well-respected doctor is, or even our family and by the way, if you want to read that article, just type an Upworthy Slave Disease and it'll come right up or mm. email us and we'll send it to you. But it's fascinating. Wow, that's amazing. And I was talking to someone the other day and she said, mm. I just get all worked up when I talk to my family about my upcoming marriage because they come back with these responses they learn in church <laughs> and they make no sense. She said, it's like I'm not me anymore when I talk to them. And, it's, and, and you end up feeling, again, with this episode is titled Family Issues Are Not Your Fault. You end up feeling like this whole thing is your fault. Yes, because they can tell you. They tell you again and again that it is. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah. yeah. It's not. Yeah. Well. You know, and I know exactly what she means. And I said, I could have probably had that conversation with your parents, and it would be pretty easy for me to say what needs to be said with your parents because, you know, you wouldn't have the same reaction. Right, because I didn't Triggered. grow up with yeah. them. Yeah. I have no emotional uh, stake involved at all. But for you, you could come in with the same words I would, but you're immediately knee-deep or neck-deep in a cesspool of all the previous trauma. Mm, wow. Now, let me add quickly here that, you know, I say that, that I could have that conversation, but let's be clear that crazy-making is still crazy-making. <laughs> And I could still walk away with my brain rattled. And as we always say, there's no point in talking if they're not going to listen. Mm-hmm. Don't have a conversation with someone who's committed to misunderstanding you. Or to use Bible terms, don't cast your pearls before swine. <laughs> 
but it's much easier to sashay away if you don't have those deep emotional ties and that internal emotional conflict. And, you know, because we want to maintain the relationship if possible Mm. without throwing ourselves under the bus. But it's, it's easier if you, if it's not, previous trauma that is piled on top of. And even to realize sometimes that you're having that kind of reaction based on um, a deep trauma helps you sashay away. Yes. You know, or makes it sometimes easier. Yes. To to turn your care to yourself in that moment and get out and do what you need to do rather than to try to keep digging out of it. Yeah. That's so powerful. Now this, this, that's especially hard in a dysfunctional family. Uh, and our families are by lar- by and large dysfunctional, yes, to some degree or another. You know, yeah. welcome to the welcome to the community. You know, yeah, families in the non-affirming evangelical church are by and large dysfunctional. Yep, that's just the basis of the training of the yes. brainwashing. Yes, you know, we've talked about the core issues that that the the cult like issues in training that make a family, make you dysfunctional in that. So again, families are in this community by and large dysfunctional, but the trauma did not start when you came out and all hell broke loose. Mm -hmm. The dysfunction was already happening. The teaching of conditional love, the speaking uh, negative judgment and attributing it to God, the codependence, all these things are dysfunctional, but you just don't see it until you see it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You may have been told that you destroyed the family when you came out, but that's not true, beloved. No, not true. That's only the, quote, uh, presenting issue, so to speak, the thing that revealed the pre-existing dysfunction. Counselors, therapists will say, parents bring in their teenagers to fix. And I'm like, can I talk to you, parent? <laughs> because that's where the stuff is stemming from. It's generational and it's cultural. And then they project that dysfunction on God, they, which is the ultimate, hey, it's not me saying mm-hmm. this. You know, uh, they, they, the ultimate bullying. <laughs> yeah, the, they attribute that judgment and codependence and enmeshment to God. Ugh. Yeah. You know? And then they vilify their kids for calling out the dysfunction. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, you know, we're kind of laughing here because that's... Yeah lightning of the the weight of it but you see it and and you can hardly help calling it out and that's a great move to call it out because then you have a good chance to move move it out to break this cycle of dysfunction but expect to be vilified for it yeah expect to be scapegoated and gaslit by crazy makers crazy makers make people crazy so that's what you can expect to happen. Again, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick family system. Exactly. Yeah. John Oliver put it this way. <laughs> he said, I was doing stand-up and bombing so badly, and a guy broke his beer bottle and held it up at me and said, get off the stage right now or I'll kill you. And John Oliver said, he was smiling ear to ear, and he said, this can't be about me. <laughs> It's not all about me. I refuse to believe that I'm all that's wrong in your life. <laughs> yeah, it's a, great, think, it's a great picture. Yeah. And whatever's going on with your naysayers, your family, your religious leaders, and all that it, the things that they're doing, 
let me assure you, you are not all that's wrong in their life. You are not what's wrong with their life. You're just standing up with your observational comedy. Is it comedy? (laughs) And your truth, the truth of who you are, and you're pointing up their falseness just by your existence of their internal conflict and denial. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then they know something. They know they're cracked. Yeah. But they've got to blame somebody else instead of facing it. And the reason it gets so, so visceral sometimes is because this calling out really does shine light on something they want to keep, the church wants to keep in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, because it reveals a lot of things that are wrong. Yeah, like so. the, the five-year-old who's, who was learning what Pharisees were, and she, she looked at him and said, that sounds like you, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Then, do you wow. think he received that well? No, yeah. did not. Okay. So we have some takeaways here. So, yeah. so what's number one in our takeaways? You have to get crystal clear. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> you say that to yourself in a mirror until something breaks open in you and that inner child in there gets it. Mm, very good. Number two, your post-traumatic stress response, your stress response to trauma after the fact is not a disorder. Your innate desire to be authentic to yourself is not a disorder. That flame in you that won't let you remain enslaved to their demands on you, that was your means to survive. As you move forward with whatever help is needed from yourself, from others, maybe therapy. Maybe somatic therapy. Mm. It can become your means to thrive. Yes. Number three, you did not cause your family stress. Not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You were the weather vane that read the dysfunction. You did not cause it. You weren't, <laughs> you weren't the storm. And they didn't have the wherewithal to face reality themselves, so they put it on you. And so we repeat, this is not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. They had their shot. Let me tell you this. They had their shot to make their own lives. Now is your shot. Your future is ahead. You're free to disentangle from them and choose your own course. That's the right flow of things. It'll it'll be time to say goodbye before you even know it. So don't waste your time trying to play someone else's game. Mm -hmm. You're here for you and for your part in your own life, your contribution to society as it fits for you not to rescue your family or stay enmeshed mm-hmm. with them. That's not what you're here on earth for. Yeah, you know, as you, as you talked about number three there, you said that you're the, the weather vane that revealed, the, or that read the dysfunction and that they had to make it your fault. Right. Uh, that's, it, that's very similar to the teaching of contempt yes. where we've been taught so deeply by the church that that's really the whole theology of the church is us versus them, right. that all of a sudden you became the them. Not all of a sudden, but you right. then became an easy target, so to speak, to, to blame right. everything on. But that's just not, that's not true and it's not your fault. It's not about yeah. you. Yeah, and we, we talked about the teaching of contempt way back in an early episode, but we're going we're gonna to do it again because that was a really powerful, yeah. it's a powerful concept. Yeah, we actually talked but about it in two episodes. In two episodes. And there are two most popular episodes of all time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, the whole, the whole Auschwitz, the whole Holocaust was only possible <laughs> because of the teaching of contempt of, of the Jews. You can't treat humans 
inhumanely and feel good about it. You have to turn them into something mm. less than human. Wow. And that's what they did with the Jews. That's what they did with slaves. That's what they did with LGBTQ people. That's yeah. what they did with women. That's what, you know, that's what they yeah. do with children. The list goes on. With the yeah. elderly, right, is we make them less than human so that we don't have to treat them humanely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. Okay. So number four, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society or a profoundly sick family system. Yeah. Just as we shifted the diagnosis away from... Drapetomania. Drapetomania. (laughs) Drapetomania. To the correct diagnosis of white supremacy, we no longer pathologize queerness in the broader culture, just in the pockets of very vocal communities that are seeking to hold on to their worldview, their power, their money, as tenaciously as slave owners wanted to hold on to their slaves. Yeah. Yeah. So, but your measure of health comes from your resistance to this broken, dysfunctional, profoundly sick that. system. It, it reveals your wellness. Yes. I love that. Yes. So let me say this again. Your measure of health comes from your resistance to this prof- this broken, dysfunctional, profoundly sick system, not your adjustment to it. Yeah. Amen. All right. We, we love, love you. you, beloved. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. We love you. We'll we talk you. to you next time. Bye. Bye. Would it be okay if I were to tell you that I am afraid someday? So I call you up and you call me down. Would it be okay? You've been listening to the Freed Hearts Podcast. We have extensive resources and vibrant, inclusive community for you at freedhearts.org. Please just come say hello. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, just email us at podcast at freedhearts.org. Audio engineering is provided by Luke Johnson. The music is provided by Hannah Cottrell, our daughter, the Grammy-nominated Saint Center. You can find out more about her and her music at heystcenter.com. Please share, subscribe and follow on your favorite platform, and support us if you can. Thanks for listening.